Hello, my name is Dr. Otis Dion Culliver, and I serve as the senior pastor of the Historic Tabernacle Baptist Church in Selma, Alabama. Now, I'm your candidate of choice for the next president of the Southwest District of the Alabama Missionary Baptist State Convention. The theme of my campaign is simple, building bridges to a brighter tomorrow through inclusion, investment, innovation, and inspiration. I look forward to sharing my platform with you in a variety of ways. And one way that we have chosen as a campaign to present our message and our vision to you is through this podcast. It is our hope that by listening to this podcast, you will get to know me more personally, who I am, the things I stand for, and be able to gauge the sincerity of my heart, as well as learn of our suggestions of how to move our district forward. I want to thank you for listening, and I pray that you will grant us your prayers as well as your support and your vote. Good afternoon. I'm Jackie with my pastor, the Dr. Otis Dion Culliver. I hope during this conversation today that you'll get to experience who Pastor Culliver is, where he was born, raised, who impacted his life, some of his greatest influences. So sit back and enjoy the conversation. Pastor Culver, just as an introduction, briefly tell us about yourself, when and where you were born, reared, your parents, your siblings, early education, sports, hobbies as a young child. Then I will move into a series of questions relating to you as a young man and on into adulthood. Thank you, Sister Smith, for facilitating this conversation. I'm always grateful to sit down and talk to you in a casual setting and even today in a more formal sense. So thank you for doing this. Who am I? Well, I'm Otis Dion Culver. Most people know me as Dion. Grew up in Monroeville, Alabama, born and raised there. Proud son of the late Reverend O.D. Culver and Sister Alice Culver. I am the youngest of eight children. We have a very big family. Um, it's a blended family and we are just very supportive. I have a lot of nieces and nephews who I care for deeply. Some who were more my age, me being the youngest of eight children, and others who are much younger than me. But we have a special relationship. I was educated in Murrow County school system graduate of Murrow County High. After I graduated in 2003, I went on to Alabama Southern Community College and received my associates. From there, I went on to Troy. As far as sports is concerned, I, I played about just about everything. But when I got to high school, I settled more on basketball. And that became my focal point as far as athletics is concerned. And so when you think about hobbies as a young child, I really just grew up in the country at a time where your hobbies was going outside um, and doing whatever the kids in the neighborhood wanted to do that day. Most of the time, whatever sports season was in, that was the hobby of the day. If it was basketball season, we played basketball. If it was baseball, we were outside playing baseball. And if it was football, we were playing tackle with no pads. And so... That was part of all that I did. Played sports until the sun went down. And when the streetlight came on, it was my cue. It was time to go home. Thank you for that. 
Pastor Culliver, who would you say was the most influential person to you as a child? No doubt it would have to be my father. My dad and I have had a very special relationship. He prayed for a son before I was born. He prayed that I would be a preacher. I told him, if the Lord never answered one prayer, he answered that one. And so I came out the womb with this love for preaching. I always have. You know, I talked about my other hobbies. Another little small hobby I would do on the side is I would have church in my room Sometimes with my nieces and nephews serving as choirs and deacons. And I would oftentimes end up regurgitating things I heard him say in the pulpit. So our relationship kind of bonded around ministry. My fondest memories are going to church with him, conversations we would have about preaching. And his influence shaped my life, not only ministerially, but even his hard work ethic. Um, he was a hard worker. And uh, he told me, how important it was you to work hard. But he wanted me to work smart. So he wanted me to get my education so that I could use my brain, the muscle that he says oftentimes goes underused, which is true scientifically as well. And so he had a tremendous impact on me and probably the most influential person over the course of my life up to the time of his death. I think your father was very proud of you as the son that he prayed for and what he had prayed for God to gift you. So. And you know the amazing thing about Mr. Smith was he prayed for that. He saw it in me, but he never pushed it. He never tried to make me become it. Um, I never had this whole idea. You know, sometimes an athlete would have a son or a daughter and they kind of try to push them into following in their footsteps. I never felt that pressure at all. Now, maybe it's because God answered his prayer in such a way that he was able to see it without see. having to push it. But even when he saw me head in that direction, he didn't push me. My dad started preaching when he was young, 15. And he kind of was weary of me starting too early because he knew the scrutiny that sometimes people would put you under and not give you the opportunity to make mistakes, grow up, be a child. Kind of expect you to mature way before it was time. And so he wanted me to go through that maturation process. It's one of my biggest blessings. Uh, I remember one day I asked my mom, we were leaving the post office. I'm like, why won't dad let me preach? Because in my mind, I was like ready to go. But um, he knew it wasn't time. And I am so appreciative of that, that he was able to nurture me without pushing me or making me feel any pressure. Okay. And speaking of your love for uh, preaching as a young man and how your dad influenced you uh, in the ministry, tell us about your conversion and your call to ministry. So I grew up in a Christian home, of course, and so that shaped my spiritual formation. I was just always around church. And so one day I did make a public declaration of professional faith. I'll never forget that day. Uh, we was at Limestone Baptist Church. My niece, Natasha, is one year older than me. And so on that particular Sunday, she joined the church. And I was somewhat disappointed because I was supposed to join the church before she joined the church. So when I saw Natasha, a.k.a. Keela, get up and go join the church, I went up right behind her and joined the church. And that was my public professional faith in Christ. Of course, 
privately I had already made Jesus my savior and understood who he was and what he had done in my life. But that was when it happened. I was baptized by my father in 1991. The reason why I know that is because we had that big Bible in the middle of the table. You know, every family had that big Bible under the table, family Bible, where you would list little dates in it and that is recorded in that family Bible. I was baptized by my father with many other people from our church on that day. But over time, I think I grew to understand more and more about what it means to be a Christian, which I think is part of everybody's natural process. You kind of become more aware of the responsibility of what that means. And so I, I was baptized early on, but it really was in 2005 when I kind of could literally see a change in my life, in my mind, in my perspective. Probably call it salvific because I was already saved, but perhaps sanctification, that I was becoming more aware of who I am and who Christ is to me. And that happened when my nephew died. My sister Pam lost her son in 2005. You know, I was a Christian that loved the Lord, kind of knew what the Lord had in store for me, wrestling with it, not want to submit to it. And when he died, it was a breaking point in my life. And so it took me to a place where I began to cry out to God in a very serious way. Went through some other broken places that year. Friendships, relationships. Life just was changing. And in the midst of that change, I found security in Christ. I remember that day when I went outside, I threw away a lot of CDs that, you know, <laughs> probably wasn't aligning with my Christian values, just peer pressure and culture, because I really said, okay, God is doing something in my life. And so I'm grateful for that. So those are two days that I kind of really remember. I remember the day I joined the church. I remember the day I was baptized. I remember being in Troy, feeling lonely, even though I was around, surrounded by so many people and friends who were always with me. We were talking, but feeling alone and feeling the Holy Spirit pull me in a different direction. After graduating high school, what college did you matriculate to? What was your course of study, and why did you choose that course of study? What led you to that course of study? Good question. So I graduated high school. I was the typical teenage boy. People knew me pretty well in our school. I don't like these words popular. But I was just an athlete. I was focused on athletics. I wasn't going to make any bad grades because I was afraid of my mother and father, there was a certain standard that there were certain letters you didn't bring to 494 Ivy Street. And so I did my best to keep my grades, but I, I didn't have good study habits. I really didn't. I had not really prepared for college by way of seeking out scholarships and trying to do well on the ACT tests and everything. So I enrolled at Alabama Southern the community college in Monroe, best decision that I could have made. And now that I've gone to a terminal degree and my doctorate, I don't believe I would have had the success that I've had academically if I had not went to that two-year college first. And so I really encourage young people, if you're not sure about where you're going or what you want to do, or you know that your study habits are not where they need to be and you don't have the discipline that's necessary to handle being away from home, go to 
uh, community college in your local community or somewhere close by because it really does help. So I went there, and uh, when I finished there, I went to Troy University. Now, why did I chose business administration and psychology as my areas of study. The reason why I did that was because I knew the Lord was going to eventually work me and ministry was going to be my primary profession, vocation in life. But I always have thought that it would be good for me to have another area of study, another discipline that I was well versed in. Because you never know where God's going to see you in ministry. I think about the Apostle Paul preached in the afternoons, but in the morning he was a tent maker. So it's like, you know... And my dad was a bivocational pastor. And so for me, my undergraduate studies was to provide a means for me to be able to get a career outside of ministry if necessary, but yet something that could contribute to my ministerial work. And so I thought about business administration. For me, church is a business. And there are certain things that you have to take care of as far as stewardship of the church's finances and um, I knew that would help me in that capacity. And then psychology, because people need counsel. I didn't really understand completely what the field of psychology was, because now I realize that psychology is a good field of study, but it does not necessarily prepare you to do counseling unless you go on beyond the undergraduate studies. But that was why I chose those fields. I chose business administration and psychology because I felt that if I needed a career outside the church, I could get a job in one of those fields. But I also knew that those academic disciplines and study areas would help me in the work of ministry and the service of the church. Okay. How would you describe yourself as a student, both socially and academically? Tell us what subjects you liked the most, what subjects was more challenging to you, any extracurricular activities or sports that you participated in well, in college? Of course, basketball. But also, not just affiliated with basketball programs on the, at the community college level. I went on to become an alpha. So that was part of my social aspect of my collegiate life. Some business fraternities and, and things of that nature. And even Christian organizations that I'm a part of. And I was working, so that was enough to keep me busy as far as a social calendar in college. I'm not going to talk about everything else that was involved in the social calendar. Um, but uh, it was enough to keep me busy. As far as academics are concerned, you know, it was almost a light bulb moment where I was like, you know what, Dion, you're pretty smart. You can handle this. Um, it goes back to what I said in high school. I felt like I did not really fully apply myself. I was just trying to make sure that I didn't bring home the letters that I was not supposed to bring. And so I got into college, and that's when I really began to take pride in my academic work, um, trying to make sure that I put forth my, my best effort when it came to preparing for tests, embracing the rigor of study, trying to soak up as much knowledge as I can. And I realized that, Everyone who's born is intelligent, that we're made an image of God. It's all about whether you're willing to put in the work and have the discipline. That anybody can be successful academically as long as you're willing to put in the work and be disciplined. And so that's what I learned in college, that success comes down to work and discipline. 
far as the fields of study that I enjoyed the most, definitely for me, I liked social science classes, things that dealt with people, behavioral sciences, like in my psychology, uh, business ethics, things of that nature, management, anything that had to do with people. I enjoyed those classes. What I did not like was more of the, what I would call, concrete areas of study, such as math, where it's like there's only one answer. There's nothing to analyze. There's nothing to try to interpret. You just got one answer, and it's a process. And some people love that. And I understand that because some people like, you know, they want the right answer. They know if they do these things, they get the right answer, and that's the answer. For me, I don't like black and white quite as much. So I didn't like math. Matter of fact, I hated math. <laughs> I hated math. So, and so I could do everything else and enjoy those areas pretty well because I could find how do you apply this to life? How does, how does this work with interacting with people? Once I got to KL1 and KL2, I was like, you know, who cares about an invisible number? Like, you know, it's like, I just like, I, I, didn't, I didn't see the need for it. I didn't see how I was going to use to help anybody or help myself. So I just kind of completely said, you know what? That's for somebody else, not me. Okay, okay. And I'm going to ask this next question in relates to your days at Troy University because I myself was a student at Troy University mm -hmm. in 1976. So I can imagine how it was when you were at Troy University. Mm -hmm. But talk about how difficult it was to be a college student and a minister at the same time. So in other words, talk about the peer pressure and, <laughs> and how you handle that. Well, go back to what my dad told uh -huh. me. He told me, well, when I was asking why he wanted me to preach, and it was like it wasn't time yet, it, it, in time it'll come. And I started to really appreciate that blessing when I got to Troy University. The fact that I did not really acknowledge my calling to preach until I had graduated from Troy. So I was at Troy with a call, not shying away from it. Many of my friends, even my fraternity brothers, they knew Dion loves the Lord. They knew Dion speaks at churches. There were several times, even when I was online in Alpha, me and my line brothers used my Sunday morning assignments to go and speak in other areas in the region as the reason why we need to have some breaks along the process. And so I did not shy away from it. I was very open about my faith. I was not a licensed minister of the gospel, but I was active in ministry by speaking in um, various churches and, and various conferences with young people. So, well, I'll say the, the wonderful thing about my experience is I was able to go through high school and college, develop friends who are still friends that I have today, develop these friendships with people who understood that God's hands were on me, but yet I'm still a human. And I, I'm so grateful for that. Sometimes I even have classmates now that we keep in touch. And even when I engage with them, I don't have to be Reverend Culliver. Not There's a dichotomy there. It's just a matter that they understand Dion is human, but we respect Pastor Culliver and the fact that God has called him to do his work. And it's just amazing to me. That, that, that has been one of the biggest blessings of my life that I have not felt like an outsider. I have not felt like 
you know, I was a sore thumb thing, not like, you know, oh, we can't mm-hmm. can't talk to Dion. He's a he's a preacher, you know. My friends and other relationships that I have developed over time, God has given me a lot of grace in that area where I've been able to be myself and people still understand and respect the call that God has on my life. One thing that gives me joy is when I go off to preach, especially when I get back down to Monroe County and Monroeville, and I'm doing a revival, and my classmates are there. Um, they come up to me out the church. They, they're on social media. I'm not even telling anyone that I'm in town. They're on social media saying, you know, hey, Dion is preaching. Y'all got to come. Y'all got to come. And they even giving me positive feedback about how they are being blessed by the messages. And still, we have that bond of, Dion, you remember when you did this? And we laugh about it. But there's no shame on you. There's no how could you. And so I've been blessed in that regard. And I think it's helped me in ministry because I try to be approachable with people to where, you know, I'm Pastor Culliver. I'm your pastor. But, hey, we can be cool. I can be relatable. That I'm not some distant person who cannot relate to real life experiences. And that's, I'm thankful for that. That's a wonderful blessing. Hearing you speak so passionately about your father and how influential he was in your life and the life of others, tell us how his death affected you and how you were able to push through it. Yeah, yeah I, I'll never forget that day. I will never forget that day. I was literally in my office preparing for an assignment that I had that afternoon when I got the call. And... You know, it it was amazing to me because it was only two days after Father's Day. I just saw him, and I never would have thought that would have been the last time I would see him alive. But there was a peace. There was this whole idea of I just closed down my work and went to Monroe. And um, there was a peace about it. The amazing thing was ministry really helped me, preaching I know that everybody grieves differently. And some people, when they're going through grief, they kind of withdraw from everything. And, but for me, what helped me was kind of embracing the call to ministry. I, I really do believe that I have, a, I have a duty to preach through anything. I tell all ministers at the church, it's the blessing and the burden of ministry that... When you are weak, God is strong. And you have to learn how to minister even in your weak areas. So I preached the Sunday after my father's death, which was two days before I was eulogizing. And the crazy thing about it, Sister Smith, is it was almost like this sense of him vicariously living through me. That... In a strong sense, I felt like I'm carrying his legacy on by my work. The whole idea to honor him by allowing what he poured into me to be poured out. And I think that's what he would have wanted me to do. I think that when I said in his eulogy, he did a wonderful job of preparing me for his departure. That he really poured so much into me that 
when he passed, I grieved, I cried, I had my moments of disbelief, and I had my moments I wanted to be by myself. But what he poured into me was comforting, and I felt like I was carrying his legacy on, and in some ways, his life still lives on through me, and that gives me comfort. Pastor Connell, talk about some of your accomplishments and especially those things that you're most proud of. Oh, boy. Now, this is probably the most difficult question for me to answer because I'm not one to get hung up on accomplishments. So I don't know what accomplishment I'm most proud of. God has done a lot of great things in my life, even up to this moment. And uh, some people may even think that I've accomplished a lot, but in my eyes, I haven't accomplished anything. I believe that to whom much is given, much is required. And it's not what I've accomplished, it's what is God required out of me now. So I can't get caught up on thinking that, oh, you have, you have done this, you have done that. I think to a certain extent, whatever I have accomplished has come out of what God requires out of me. So I give him glory for whatever I am or whatever some people may think I have accomplished. But to me, I know that there's so much more that God requires and past success can oftentimes be the barrier to future possibilities. And I don't want to get caught up on anything that has happened. For me, I say, if you have accomplished this, what's next? What's next? It's like I would say, even when it comes to preaching. If I can preach on this level now, then if I'm alive 10 years from now, I ought to be a better preacher. And the only way you can be better is to not get complacent with what you are presently. The late Grady Broadnitz had a quote, and I know it wasn't his, but I got it from him. Good, better, best. Never let them rest till your good become your better, your better becomes your best. And I think that does not happen if you spend too much time celebrating your perceived accomplishments. I wholeheartedly agree with you, Pastor Culver. Let's take a, a peek into your personal life. Being you are embarking upon being a new dad, what is your goal as a future parent? Ooh, wow. You're talking about a scared proposition. Every day I think about this responsibility much more. And of course, it's something that you always have thought about. But as you get closer and closer to it, you got to start to sense the weight of it. But also understand that no one is prepared for it. That you just kind of have to just trust God. Because you, you don't know what you're going to get. Now, I'm not talking about gender, but you don't know what the personality is going to be like. You just don't know. This is just a bundle of possibility that you're going to have. And... You have to be able to support them and shape them and guide them without trying to make them be what you want them to be, but let them become who God has called them to become. And, and so for me, my goal as a father would be to love my daughter, to be there for her, to let her know that she loves and I'm here for her. Provide. And being there means providing, protecting. And so my goal is to be the best dad I can and to hopefully God be pleased with my efforts. I think you'll be a great dad. 
Pascal, if, if I asked you to share three things about your wife, what would you tell me? Three things about my wife. Well, Mashika loves the Lord. I tell people all the time she's more saved than I am. Mashika is smart. She is naturally smart, but she's also a hard worker. She's a go-getter. She has a lot of discipline. And so sometimes people can talk about how smart she is, but I've seen that it's not just a natural, smart, uh, intellectual astuteness, even though that's there. She does not rest upon that. She actually is a hard worker. And for a third thing, I say two. She has a beautiful voice, and she's beautiful. So those are the four things I would say. Okay, well, I have thoroughly enjoyed this conversation with you. And though I'm your member, I still sit here tonight and learned a lot about you. So if uh, there's anything that you would like to add to this conversation, anything that I didn't ask you that you might want the audience to know? No, ma'am. I think that this was very comprehensive. And thank you for facilitating this conversation. And I want to thank those who are listening for giving us a listening gift. Thank you.